A couple of years ago, Michael and Jacob, two friends from London, were both thinking about their consumption and sustainability as a whole. Michael, a professional footballer at the time, realised he had no options when it came to sustainable sportswear. Overconsumption and underuse was all too common. Hilo was born, a sportswear brand fighting for the planet by changing mindsets. They started with a running shoe made with seven natural materials, and the shoe can be recycled at the end of its life. As a company, they've offset their carbon to beyond zero, making them carbon negative. You can find out more about Hilo and support their mission at hiloathletics.com. That's H-Y-L-O. We support the Hilo movement. My name's David Savage and I have an as yet undiagnosed liver condition. I also happen to really like running very long distances. As a consequence, I wanted to find other people who had health conditions but also loved sport. And the Chronically Fit Show is what happened. Has fallen away And in those times A shadowy hills to climb Hold out your hand to mine And look for the day our guest today is Johanna, who suffers from ankylizing spondylitis. We chat about how she's managed to cope with the condition through weightlifting, given the restrictions that it placed on her movement and her confidence over the years. She was living in denial for a long time and didn't accept her illness. So this is the story of how she now does accept it and how she's trying to help other people who are going through diagnosis to take a step forward, no matter how small it is. So today I'm joined by Johanna. Johanna, forgive me. Um, I know that I'm talking to you from Scandinavia. Off the top yes. of my head, it's Finland. It's Finland, isn't it? It is Finland. Yes, yes, it's yes, Finland. Good. It's Finland. <laughs> <laughs> not, not making an ass of myself within the first five seconds. That's good. Yes. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at your Instagram and I realise that there is a Finnish flag there. So if I'd said Sweden, that would have been particularly stupid. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that would have been a, a grave mistake. <laughs> it's not even not even remotely similar, but there we go. Um, <laughs> uh, look, thank you for spending some time to chat to me this morning. Uh, yes, for anyone who's you. not familiar with you, uh, you are um, a lifter, but you've also got fibromyalgia. And now this this is where the pronunciation is probably likely to be a little bit interesting, but anch- ankylizing? Ankylizing spondylitis, yes. Ankylizing yes. spondylitis. Yes. For anyone who's not familiar, because fibromyalgia might be something that actually I, I don't know. I mean, we'll we'll chat about fibromyalgia as, uh, as well. But AS mm. is mm. probably something that not a lot of people have heard of. So, what is it? Um, basically, it's a like a rheumatoid co- condition, so autoimmune disease where uh, the body's uh, own cells attack and especially symptoms are for example back pain neck inflammation uh, joint pain and uh, most of the people but not all have a gene that is predisposing for for this uh, condition so it's called LAHB uh, 27 positive gene so i have have it and uh, Basically, it's a chronic illness, and if it would be a severe version, and then that would mean that your spine would fuse together in a forward position. So mobility to the spine is very important. Hmm. Yeah. I always feel 
a bit silly kind of asking this because you don't really like kind of prying around people's age, but at the same time, it's quite <laughs> useful when we're having this conversation about yes. when you were diagnosed and how old are you now and how long yes. have you been with, yes. this, with this condition. So <laughs> roughly, you know, what, 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 what was that diagnosis story? What, what age did it kind of start and when did you get that diagnosis? Yeah, I think, um, well, I've been sick since I was a kid. So my first symptoms were like chronic headaches when I was three, etc. So I'm thinking that what actually for me individually predisposed for autoimmune diseases was that I got so many antibiotics when I was a child. But I was uh, 19 in 2008. Uh, when the symptoms started and it's kind of like a snowball effect. So I got Campylobacteria when I was abroad in Prague and uh, from because of that bacteria, you can get uh, reactive arthritis. So I got a knee inflammation and that persisted and became chronic and then eventually uh, turned into ankylosing spondylitis, of course, also because of the positive gene, HLAB27. So, Mm. you know, I first got a stomach bacteria, then I got knee inflammation, then I got uh, chronic pain. So fibromyalgia was uh, diagnosed first. And then eight years later, I got the ankylosing spondylitis diagnosis. (laughs) So Now, some some autoimmune diseases have cures some have treatment well not many have cures but but certainly some have treatments and ways of mm. managing them where, where does this kind of figure on that on that front yeah well basically in all, all of the autoimmune diseases there are like ups and downs so there there will be times when you're better and then there will be times when you're flaring up so then mm. all of the symptoms will be worse and the pain will be worse, uh, but it is possible with the correct medication. And you know, many autoimmune disease people benefit for, from a correct diet, so to be in a remission. And that's kind of like uh, basically a state where where you don't have any kind of uh, obvious symptoms, but you know, you're not exactly cured. Uh, yeah. So for for me. Uh, uh, the first medication I got was uh, oxychlorine, and I got se- serious kind of uh, nightmares about it. So well, that has to be stopped because the nightmares stopped me from sleeping, and that's not good. And then next, uh, I got sulfasalazine and methotrexate as medication, and those worked for, I think, uh, four or five years, but then uh, when I in 2015, I had such a bad backache and neck inflammation that I couldn't turn my head or I couldn't vacuum my house or, you know, bend over to wash my face over over the sink, for example. So uh, then I went to the rheumatologist again, and in spring 2016, I got uh, the ankylosing spondylitis diagnosis. So it was eight years after the symptoms started. So look, I, I think it's worth kind of putting diet to one side for a minute because I think it might be worth coming back to it um, mm-hmm. because diet and what we're told we should do from a dietary point of view for fitness, mm. but then diet with regards to certain chronic conditions don't always quite align, um, <laughs> yes. as I have discovered myself. But yes. you got into fitness as a way of trying – to see what you could do about your back pain with regards to to not relying just on medication. As I understand it, it's really been about the last three years where 
where exercise, fitness, lifting has come into your life in a major way? Yeah, yeah. So during the first symptoms and when we were still kind of like uh, in the woods about all of the medication, etc., and I would still be on, in pain, there's one rheumatologist in Finland who has actually published a book uh, about uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis and uh, uh, treating it with diet. So he recommends gluten-free and milk-free diets because uh, the inflammation in the gut uh, could be then uh, controlled with that, and you know your immune system uh, basically starts in your guts and bowels. Mm. So uh, I started this gluten-free, milk-free uh, diet, and my mom had read somewhere that you know if I stayed away from red meat, that could help also. So I tried kind of everything, and then uh, when the serious back pain started, uh, before I got biologic med medication, which is kind of the extreme, uh, I went to the gym. And since I had no idea what I was doing there, because I used to play violin as a child, so I have never been quite athletic. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, look, I, I, I play trombone. Right? Let's not say that music and, and, and sport can't go hand in hand. Anyway. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I know because, you know, I, in, in my opinion, uh, playing an instrument is not a bad hobby because you get the same kind of like a personality traits from it you get the, to be persistent and tenacious so yep. you know it yeah so anyway i hired myself a personal trainer a local person like a big health influencer in my home hometown and uh, basically we just started with the basics and uh lost i lost some weight obviously i had gained weight during university times for obvious reasons <laughs> and and so so i lost i think nine kilos in six months or something but it would have been uh, very expensive to keep her so then in finland and of course i would believe in other countries as well we have uh, this boom of online online coaching so basically basically i went to uh, it's called fit farm in mm -hmm. finland and i purchased from them uh, these online courses for i think uh three years so from 2015 to 2018 but then i figured as i was uh, accepting that i'm actually chronically ill that uh, being in an online uh, course doesn't quite cut it because there are 1500 people there and I have these conditions and boundaries and you know I think that the program should be uh, like specified uh, for me so and at that time also I was battling burnout uh, in my in my career because I was pushing myself too far because I treated myself like a normal person. Mm. So then I decided that uh, there has to be more, more to life than just work, because even after work, I would think about work the entire evening. So uh, then I decided that if, if I take this fitness hobby now further for my mental health, just as well as for my physical health, uh, then that that could actually make a difference. So then I hired an IFBB uh, coach, and then that's where I started to really work out uh, with a goal towards fitness competition. 
How important do you think it is to have a goal out of interest? Because <clears throat> there's exercising. Uh, yeah. You're told, you're told you should exercise, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I find it I find it really hard to just exercise without something to work towards. And for me, um, it's not about lifting, it's about running. Yeah. So I, 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 I enter events and I have those to work towards. Yeah. Well, last year, uh, when when the COVID pandemic started and all of the gyms closed, etc., and I was kind of uh, super scared, etc., so I dropped out of my fitness team for four months. And uh, um, during the summer, when the gyms started to open up again in Finland, and I went to the gym just for fun, kind of, mm. but I felt so it felt so pointless when you go to the gym and you don't have a program and you don't have a goal and you're just like, Hmm, what would I like to do today? And then you don't get the same kind of sense of accomplishment because you're just there like hanging around a little bit. So I think having a program is really important because then you can also track your progress and, and uh, I'm the kind of person who needs, needs goals to move forward. So, um, I wouldn't feel motivated enough to go to the gym four times a week if I didn't have a goal. And I think the same is for other people often because, for example, this one lady contacted me in Instagram and she said that uh, she has had now the gym membership for three months, but she hasn't you know, been able to go there. But I think that's because you don't have a plan. When you mm. put it in your calendar, for example, I did for this week, that Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, those are the days that I will go to the gym, period. So even if I don't feel motivated in the morning, I have, you know, set my goal and put it in the calendar that today I will go and then I have my plan, which is tailor-made for me by my coach. That's something to jump in on as well, right? Because all of us have different goals, as we just discussed there. Mm. So my goals or my workouts will look different to your workouts because yeah. I'm trying to achieve something different. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's fantastic that there's this explosion of health influencers on yeah. Instagram and yeah. body positivity and, you know, that, that, that that's a good thing. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I suppose there's that slight double edge to it as well, where people can begin to feel slightly inadequate <laughs> yes. um, because of what they see online and they compare themselves to it. But yes. How important is it or how easy or difficult is it even to to wade through some of that stuff and find stuff that's relevant to you, especially when you've got a chronic condition that places certain limitations on it? You know, we, we all we all within the chronic health community, the autoimmune community in particular, you know, inflammation is not a good thing. Exercise mm. tends to cause an increase in, inf in, in inflammation markers. Mm, yeah. So... Um Actually, in 2016, when I became interested about uh, competitions and I went to see fitness competitions and obviously at first they, all of the people on stage, they looked the same to me. <laughs> I couldn't see the differences between different sports. Um, and then when I when I really wanted to get into it and and find out about more what it is and what it requires to be be a competitor, I started to follow in Instagram a lot of the pro competition people competitors, so who are actually doing this for a living. And then I started to compare myself to them, and of course then it totally blew in my face because you know you can't compare yourself to the pros who have been doing this for I don't know ten. 15 20 years so um 
the only only thing was to stop uh, following all of the pro people and then start to compare myself to my past self and not to other people. And I think that's really important to to remember. And that's that's why what, what I try to do also in my own Instagram page that I I compare myself to my past self. And of course, because this is a like a Uh, physical sport and you will be judged based on appearance compared to the other people on the stage so of course eventually when I go there um, uh, it's going to be judged on stage my condition and physical appearance compared to other people but uh, for how to sum it up is that uh, I asked about my for my coach actually on Sunday when we met that um, she as a coach how does she take into consideration my conditions and limitations and boundaries as a chronically ill person and uh, what she said kind of sums it up that she concentrates on my um, what I can do instead of what I can't do Hmm. so she tries to coach me and put into my program everything that I can't do instead of concentrating on on the negative aspects and and the limitations and what I can't do and then try to treat me almost the same as other people Hmm. like the healthy people but then for example um, when I feel bad about myself, when I compare myself to other people in my in my team, that they squat more, and uh, like uh, and things like this. And when I told her this, my my coach this out loud, she was like, "Yeah, but Johanna, you started like." Uh, like from the beginning, from nothing, you don't have a background and the person that you're comparing to has background in CrossFit. So please don't compare yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I guess that's that's important for other people to understand also in Instagram that you can't know the mm-hmm. people, person's background. And for example, um, the people who start following me are uh, most often Uh, people who have been just diagnosed and they look at me and they're like wow you can do this and you have these chronic conditions and uh, illnesses and uh, wow how how are you able to do this and then I have to remind them that I have been doing this for five years Mm -hmm. and for example it took me three years to start to trust my back because I was sure it, I, I know it sounds crazy, but I was sure that I was going to break it <laughs> when no. I go to the, go to the gym. No, I don't be, think it sounds crazy. Yeah, be, because you know, I, it, it was still in the back of my mind that I can't even vacuum my house, and that's that's where my my head was at when I went to the gym. That how can I lift this barbell because I can't even vacuum my house? How is it even possible? And at first, before I had proper medication then I had to stretch two hours uh, at the, in, in the floor just to be able to move properly after the, after the gym. But it started to affect my job because I was uh, working in a warehouse at that time in 2015. So I couldn't even carry uh, like two kilogram boxes, like super light lightweight boxes in the warehouse because my back was aching so much. And I had just graduated the year before and I was so scared that I wouldn't be able to support myself uh, through the next 40 years because yeah. let's let's face it, we're going to be able to 
retire when we are 70 or something. <laughs> but so, so that was basically the motivation that I really wanted to just support myself. And then it kind of grew, grew from that, that I need more at the gym to keep myself motivated to be able to go through it there from year to year, from week to week, day to day. Yeah. Again, look, we're, we're talking a lot about physical exercise, but we're dancing yep. around mental health a lot here. Yes. Uh, and when you're talking about people who are following you and they've just got their diagnosis yep. uh, and they're kind of going, you've got this condition, how are you, how are you where you are? Yep. It kind of, it reeks of that consumer culture where it's yep. like, right, I'm going to get fit. But, yep. you know, we've got Amazon Prime. So we, we, we buy something online, it arrives at our door the next day. Everything is instant gratification. Yes. yes. This is not, if this is going to be, you know, if you're going to trust your body, if you're going to trust your back, it is going to take time and you have to build it. You have to build that confidence and that strength in a really sustainable, sensible way, right? Yep. Yes. And also, for example, the um, the first target that we had for my first competition was actually this spring, so spring 2021. But last year, I burned out and I had to take two and a half months off in my in my job. So we had to postpone our plans uh, with a year because what it really takes is mental health, that you have to really be in the kind of mental state that you don't have anything else going on in your life. There are no weddings, there are no breakups, there there are no any, any other stresses so that you are actually in the mental state that you can focus on eating correct and exercising and that that aspect so yeah when I lost my mental health last year and I had burned out um, I was in a kind of state that I didn't have any self-esteem left I felt completely worthless than that I couldn't do anything I couldn't be be anything and the pick me up actually for me was that I visited London for four days just by myself and I became to trust myself again because I was able to handle myself abroad in a trip and I got more more confidence back because I went and did stuff and didn't have to ask permission from anybody and there were no people to judge me etc so that that really was the turning point uh, in my burnout sick leave last year in January uh, but uh, regarding also other mental health aspects, so when I became first uh, diagnosed or had the first symptoms in 2008, uh, I couldn't handle it. I was too young and I was too too scared and it was too overwhelming that there was something going on in my body and none of the doctors believed me because I would mm. go into the uh, general practitioner's office every two weeks with my knee full of fluid and they would just send me home and say that everything is fine. And that went on for six months. So as a coping mechanism, I... Uh, became disassociated completely from this world because it was too hard to live in the like the, in this world so i watched a lot of tv and i kind of lived in the tv series because uh, i i couldn't handle it and i and denial beca- became a big big part of the coping mechanisms and that eventually led me to burn out because I was living in denial that I didn't have anything wrong with me, that I didn't have any chronic illnesses, that I was just like everybody else. So that's why I pushed myself so hard in my uh, university studies and in my career 
because I was treating myself like I was normal because I didn't accept my illnesses. So I lived in denial for eight years. So when people contact me on Instagram and they're like, I got my diagnosis last week, I feel so much empathy. And I I hurt for these people because it was terrible and I couldn't even handle it. And these people are trying to accept it and 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 uh, move forward. And they even want to, you know, get inspired by my gym gym training and start to do do that even if they were just diagnosed. And I think it's like so incredible because it took me so many years to go, get get over it. Mm. yeah one thing i wanted to ask um fibromyalgia is chronic fatigue you have a a program there you talk there a lot sorry you talk so you talk a lot about accepting and not Mm. being in denial part of accepting Mm. is listening to your body yeah but at the same time you've got it you've got a you've got a program that you stick to but you have a condition that means you are chronically fatigued so how how do you balance that because there must be times where it's like i I, I can't i'm having a flare-up i you know i can't do this today yeah, so um, fibromyalgia is actually something that, at least in Finland, uh, they tend to diagnose if they don't know what's wrong with you. So when yeah. you're, yeah, so when you're in a lot of pain and they don't know what's wrong with you, the the diagnosis process for fibromyalgia is something that uh, you know they press on, press a points uh, in your body and if enough are in pain or you feel pain in enough of those pressure points then you get the diagnosis and um, yeah of course the pain is there and actually some some people ask me a lot like how is it but I think I'm so used to the pain that most most often I I don't know so I started actually a month ago using this uh, phone app to track my pain and and it's actually there every day but uh, when I'm in a lot of pain I can I can feel it in the beginning of the workout that, you know, this is not my day. And then generally I will uh, lower the weights or lower the rep count. And then I, I will just write write in my notes that, you know, it was a bad bad back day, for example, that my back was hurting or, or something mm-hmm. like this. And of course, uh, then, then I feel a little di- disappointed in myself that I couldn't do it. But then again, I try to remind myself that every step I take is going to take me forward. So no matter how small, every step I take will take me forward. So that's that's what I kind of rely on. And then on the other hand, also uh, what became my motto uh, ev- eventually uh, because of this gym training is that if you have to live in pain, let it be the good kind of pain, because it feels so much better when your quads are on fire the next day and you can't sit in the toilet seat because, you know, your legs are, are so <laughs> sore from the gym training. It feels so much better than the joint pain, you know, and it kind of masks the pay, the other kind of joint pain, because, uh, for example, if you you know, hit your toe on the door or something. And then afterwards you take a hammer to your thumb, which is going to hurt for hurt more. The thumb, of course. So, <laughs> you know, I kind of use use the same same with, with gym because, you know, when you hurt from the gym, you can't really 
uh, feel the other kind of pain. And that's that's how I live, <laughs> basically, because, you know, if, if there has to be pain, you know, muscle pain, because it's self-inflicted and you can get <laughs> some, some kind of like a gratification that, yes, I did something today. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> last last quick point we we mentioned diets earlier i do think diet's a bit of a minefield um i have hypercholesterol yes um and i have primary sclerizing cholangitis and primary sclerizing cholangitis means basically well on the one hand with my with my with my hypercholesterol i think vegan would be good but mm. vegan isn't necessarily easy to do with PSC, and actually, as 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 the as your liver worsens over time, it becomes nigh on impossible to be vegan. So, how how do you think people should approach diet? Because there's a lot out there. You know, we've got Sea Spiracy on television telling us we shouldn't ever eat fish again. For some people with chronic illness, I don't know. They, I, I almost feel like they could be made to feel guilty about the fact that they are stuck in in dealing with different diets that may not be necessarily on trend. Yes. Um, actually, um, yeah, it is kind of a minefield. And a lot, of, a lot of people ask me about the diet, like, how do you eat? And I tell them how I eat. But then on the other hand, I say that it's so individual. Because for me, for example, all of the antibiotics that I t- took when I was a child, of course, I believe that they impacted my gut health, etc. So I can't really give, give uh, advice to anybody. And I don't think it should be like that. Then on the other hand, at least in Finland, and I would think that on other countries too, if you go to a, a like a, a, what's the word, nutrition coach or whatever in, in a hospital, you know, they tend to stick to the, um, like the food diagram specified by your country. And that's basically politics, like mm. what, you, what you should eat. So um it's kind of trial and error because, for example, for me, I have had uh, serious stomach symptoms since 2017. So that's four years ago now. And all of the tests came back clear. So there's nothing like physical wrong with me, but I still get so much uh, stomach symptoms and reflux, etc. And uh, basically, uh, I have tried just you know, kept track of what I eat and what kind of symptoms I get. And that's how I find out that what's what's not good for me. So, for example, at the moment, I have been tracking a lot of the FODMAP foods. So, for example, corn is not good. I can tolerate potatoes only once a week. Uh, plum, that's very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there are certain uh, ingredients that will trigger, trigger the symptoms and... Uh, you just have to find it for yourself. But of course, if you could get a nut, uh, nut, nutrition coach, that would be best because they could calculate uh, all of the macros that you need so that there wouldn't be anything left out so that you would uh, eat, for example, too much protein or too much fat or car- carbs or something like this. So, of course, that would be like be- beneficial. And uh, for me, since I'm in in the fitness team, of course, my coach does my uh, diet, but she does it according to the boundaries that I have set her. So I have told her that I have uh, gluten-free, milk-free, no no red meat uh, diet. And then uh, now also uh, what I have discovered, the FODMAP ingredients, etc. So 
she kind of dances around the boundaries that I set her and what I find out from my uh, own experiments. So basically being chronically ill, if we can sum it up, it's kind of a science project to your own body. Because yeah. you will you will never know what will flare flare you up, or especially stress is bad when we talk about the mental health. Because I also believe that we are psychosocial beings, so basically everything that happens on your mental health, it's going to impact your, you know, flare wise, etc. So, yeah, holistic view is the way to go. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you for taking some time out uh, in the middle of your working day because it's a little bit later over there than it is here. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's great to hear your your story and that you're uh, inspiring so many who are getting diagnosis and, and helping them understand. And, and good luck uh, as you progress. Yes, thank you so much for having me. And uh, for listeners, you can follow me on Instagram. My Instagram account is chronically Johanna. Perfect. Thanks for your time. Thank you. For the last time this series, I'm joined by Marla. How are you? I am good. How are you doing today? Yeah, good. By the time that we come back for a third series, I need to update the intro where it's like an as yet undiagnosed <laughs> condition. Yeah. Keeps evolving. Keeps evolving. AIH, that was a misdiagnosis. Then it was we don't know what. By the time we get to a third series, at least we'll know what, what it is. Anyway, <laughs> time flies. Uh, <laughs> how are you? Do you know, I, I I really find this such a funny question that you ask, like, how are you and everything? Because I do feel like anyone in the world right now is okay because of the <laughs> pandemic and stuff. So I feel like everyone's baseline has kind of just dropped a tiny bit, but we're all still yeah. keeping around the words. Yep, all good. <laughs> good, good. Look, so uh, ankylizing uh, spondinitis was not something I'd heard of before, Um I, I assume you had heard of it, but it's, mm -hmm. it's probably quite one of those rare ones, right? Yeah, I mean, like, you, you do love your autoimmune conditions on this podcast, honestly, but like... <laughs> <laughs> it, it is the point of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I like... I, I, my heart goes out. My heart goes out because the range of symptoms, as she was rightly saying, is just so broad that... Mm you know, one day you could be feeling your joint pain in certain areas. The next day it's like really bad back pain. And it's just, yeah, it's really difficult for patients. Her um, journey of stomach bacteria, inflammation leading to autoimmune disease, is that is that quite common? Because that could, I, I suppose someone listening who doesn't have anything could listen to that and go, Christ, that could happen to anyone, right? Now, I'm not an expert in this, nor have I read the latest literature on um on this and so I don't want to say something that kind of is not medically backed here if you see what mm. I mean um yeah I know that there's a lot of studies going on right now about the role of inflammation and autoimmune diseases and gut health and etc etc but um I personally wouldn't want to just say you know it could happen to anyone there is there's so many more nuances to it you see what I mean than just mm simple maybe i uh, maybe i'll go away and, and have a look up at all of the I, I found i found uh, the gut health bit by the way really interesting because 
diet is so kind of to be perfectly honest diet can be really preachy on instagram and things like that yeah. can't it people people have kind of got this is the diet you should follow mm-hmm. you should eat this you shouldn't eat that obviously at the minute everyone's saying that you shouldn't eat fish ever again and all this kind of stuff but actually for some conditions it's like no you've got to get omega-3 uh, oils in and maybe a vegan diet wouldn't be the best thing for you because you can't stomach x y and z <laughs> and it's like mm-hmm. sometimes you don't have that um luxury of being able to be totally like yay I'm going to just only eat this particular diet. Um, And and how healthy your gut is and what you put in it is so important. Well, here's the thing is that like dying pain, especially, you know, has not been, there's not much literature on it and there's not Mm. much actual medical evidence about the roles of different diets for different for for pain and so the the research that's going on at the moment I know that there's some happening in London is is looking at like how you can personalize your diets based on based on your symptoms based on your genetics based on all of this to optimize diet do you know what though honestly I really feel like in the UK we don't treat diet in the same level of respect as like perhaps like the French do or in other countries where we eat food for energy. But I suppose even listening to this podcast, I realized that we can't we can't just assume and and just you know eat for energy. It has to be the right stuff as well. But we need yeah. more insights on what that is. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that you can talk very confidently about, Marla is pain given that you work in a, pla- in a clinical pain pain clinic <laughs> clinical pain clinic is that right uh you correct me correct me in a second but this um this mantra is uh, that that um yana has of if you if you have to live in pain let it be the good kind of pain i imagine for a lot of people they might go yeah well that's not necessarily a choice but for those who go no that's something i can get on board with and i'll be perfectly honest i can partially get there because I totally understand wanting to have some semblance of control over how you feel. If you're given a diagnosis of something that that has limited treatment um, and, and you feel like everything is happening to you, um, and I, I suppose there's that whole piece there, she was living in denial and didn't accept her illness for a long time. But if you feel mm-hmm. like something's happening to you, you want to be the one who's, who's making you feel a certain way. Um, First of all, that pain bit, if you have to live in pain, let it be the good kind of pain. Is is that something that you see mirrored in the sentiment of people that come into the clinic? Such an interesting question. Such an interesting question. Um, I, I kind of like, if you take it back to, so, so uh, yeah, so I do work at Lever Clinic, which is the UK's first online pain clinic. And the way that we were set up is because of this of this question of control power feeling a part of your own pain journey and then um having a multidisciplinary team that is your team to support you the problem with pain is that the control gets taken out of patient's hands very quickly because your pain flare-ups can come and go without you doing anything you know you could literally be having a, a, the most incredible protective day in your own sense where you're you're just sitting at home you're not doing it and then you have the worst pain flare-up that you've ever experienced and that lack of control in that sense is really difficult but actually when you get diagnosed with a condition that is pain orientated people don't get to talk get don't get taught about the actual simple day-to-day things you can do to regain that control 
And so I think it's a bit more of like a, in the journey to try and understand your own pain and your, everyone's going to have their own different approaches, but it must be based in evidence is my, is my biggest push is that otherwise we'll get to the same problems we had in the past, which was kind of opioid dependency and all of these things. And we have to be so careful every step of the way for people that are pain because they are vulnerable. I kind of went off on a tangent there, David. I'm sorry. No, but, <laughs> but it's super interesting because it's 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 an area that, you know, I, I'm lucky. I'm asymptomatic, right, at the minute. Mm-hmm. So at some point, I've I've had the odd reaction to which I, I could imagine, well, to what I, I can only assume is is, is a flare-up, but I, I, I don't live in pain at the minute, right? Mm-hmm. But I do have the mentality point of view of wanting to – be the one who makes myself suffer and I could see that increasing I could like you know you know if I think about some of the people who who um we've had on this podcast if I think about Alex Flynn with Parkinson's um he's bitten off massive challenges almost as a I don't think it's a punishment thing but as a no I can do this I'm, I am going to push my body I am going to show who's in control yeah of my physical state. And I can definitely see through a lot of the conversations that we we've had, that mentality seems to exist. Yeah. That boom and bust approach, right? You, you want to be the one that stops doing it, not your pain telling you. So you're going to do as much as you can. And then you're going to just collapse and sleep for a week. Right? Like that, that kind of boom and bust approach, like is, is all around that same kind of control topic. Right. But the 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 things that she brought up about acceptance as well really stood out for me because this all this all really weaves together in in all the work that we're doing is all about like how 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 can you live well with pain and it must be living well you must be you must be doing day-to-day habits which is consistently working towards living well with pain you can't take a day off you just can't take a day off when you're in pain Mm. You can't slip up. You must have good daily habits and say, yeah, I mean, like, I feel like you're getting my views across without me actually having to say it here about this, about this. But like, I just think that the, the, the conversation needs to be flipped to you already have control within your, but you already have it. But here are some tips that will even enable you to live better with pain, but you are always in control of your body. No one's ever taken that away. There's yeah. this analogy that we use. Um, sorry, you can stop me if, if it goes on. There's an analogy that we use, which is the passengers on a bus in the pain world. Have you ever heard of that one? No. So basically the premise of the metaphor, and I don't want to uh, not do it justice here, but the, the premise of the metaphor is that you are a bus driver, right, and of your own life. And your road that you're driving down is kind of your, your life path, right? And along your life path, you're going to have, you know, road bumps along the way, you're going to have roadworks, you're going to have traffic lights, etc. But within your bus as well, you're going to have passengers getting on this bus. And these passengers might be good passengers, they might be memories that are great, it might be people that are fantastic in your life. But it might be pain as well. And pain might get on that bus. And pain might try and be unruly in that bus and distract you off course. Then you might get on a line that sticks with you, a passenger that is, you know, someone telling you you're making it up in your head. 
or a, a diagnosis that you're not getting. And these are all passengers that keep getting on, not able to do your normal day-to-day activities, not able to exercise. They're all getting on now. And they're all trying to steer you off course because they think that they're going to protect the bus driver. So they're being loud and they're getting louder. And the whole trick of pain management now and what the NICE guidelines that came out yesterday is showing is if we take a personalized approach to understanding who's on your bus, then we can help quieten down those unruly passengers, maybe boot them off. But then we can try and lift up the voice of the of the passengers that are that are enabling you to live well. Mm. No, it's super interesting. Um, do me a favor, send me over the uh, the link if you can to some of those guidelines, and we'll post it in the show notes. I will do. I will do. But I, well, I, I do warn you, though, David. There was a lot of crazy media yesterday, and I'm sure some of our listeners heard, uh, saw it as well about like how the nice guidelines are recommending that you only do exercise and you don't get paid medicines. It was a big, big, big step forward in it because they're saying, you know it's not just start off with this medicine, then go to this medicine, then go to this medicine anymore. You must take the patient as a whole and a very holistic approach. And and it's not just simply, oh, don't have meds, do exercise, but that's what has been promoted on, on media. But the, the guidelines itself is much more nuanced and complex than that. And it's all about understanding understanding each person and not just giving them opioids because they're in pain, but understanding what might be beneficial for them and talking to them. And the one thing that comes through all of these interviews that we've done so far, what 12 guests so far, um, is everyone is, is hugely individual, which is not a surprise, but you can't just label someone with an illness. Mm -hmm. It it affects everyone very differently. And we, we use a goals based approach at the Eva clinic, which is like a very common pain thing which is what is actually important to you what are your values in your life that's important to you is it that you want to lift up your kids and pick them up and swing them around that Mm. might be your goal that you want to with your back pain be able to do that maybe it's to go gardening and maybe you just want to do that maybe your values is more towards your work and you want to be able to you know have a full nine to five day without having to um I don't know, to to take a nap because you're in so much pain. You know, everyone is really different about their own goal. But if we listen to what people's goals are, we can we can get them there. And I love this podcast in the sense that she works directly with her with her coach to make a personalized plan for her, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, her diet, her diet, we come mm-hmm. back to that point is very you know what what makes me feel good or bad i can only have potatoes one day a week or something like that you know it that that is highly individual um look thank you so much for your time on this series uh that's 12 episodes done uh hopefully we can have you back in the summer at some point when we return for a third series uh but until then thanks marla thank you and if all the nights close in There's warmth and hope within If all the nights close in